The kingdom is like a Carolina fan and a Duke fan sitting right next to each other here at the varsity. Oh, man. Oh, man. It is. Uh, one of the unrealized dreams yet of Love Chapel Hill is to have the um, Duke basketball coach and the Carolina basketball coach sitting down on the front row side by side. So y'all keep praying for that with us, all right? It's got, you got to have big dreams. Oh, oh, we just went to a whole nother level <laughs> trying to get autographs. No, no, it's, it's about... It's about Jesus. <laughs> so, oh, wow. There it is. Y'all, so we have been headlong into this series on the parables, and we have gotten to discover um, some, some new things about the parables, digging into some f- familiar ones, maybe some that we haven't been into yet um, for the first time. So we started with the parable of the sower and got into uh, the parable of the mustard seed. And then last week, Pastor Allison walked us into um, the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable, the pearl of great price. And if you did not get to catch last week, I want to encourage you to go back and catch the podcast. Uh, you can listen on iTunes or on the website, or if you want to get the recording of the whole uh, live stream service, you can do that on YouTube. Uh, but I want to encourage you to just take time. If you didn't get to catch last week or, or any time you uh, miss a message, you can always catch it that way um, via podcast or YouTube. Shout out to our media team for making all of those things happen. Uh, yeah, let's give them a hand, y'all. So now that we are about halfway through this series, I'm curious um, if you've been with us for a little bit, how, how are you defining a parable. What comes to mind when you hear the word parable? You can just shout it out. Nobody's taking notes. A story? Allegory? Hidden in plain sight. Yeah, there you go. Oh, relatable story. This is good. Yeah. Yeah. Teaching moment. Yes, absolutely. So good, y'all. Well, um, We've been, yeah, looking at these stories, these illustrations of really what Jesus is doing, right? It is a revelation, the hidden in plain sight, revelation of what Jesus is doing as he is ushering in the kingdom of heaven that is in the here and now, right? He's telling stories of what the kingdom is like showing them what this kingdom is coming. And so this, this is what it is like. And um, for those who have ears to hear and eyes to see, right, that we recognize that the kingdom coming is different from the kingdoms of this world. There is something set apart. And it's so radical and so different, in fact, that we refer to it as upside down. The upside down kingdom. So certainly Jesus wants everyone to have ears to hear and eyes to see, but he knows that not everyone does. So these parables, for those who do, it is bringing about that revelation. And that the ways of the kingdom that Jesus is proclaiming are so radical and so dangerous that he had to use stories and illustrations to tell about it. 
You know, um, many of you know last week that I was away with uh, my family and wanted to say first thank you for praying for us as my grandfather is, is in his final days of life on this earth and ready to transition into the arms of Jesus. So I got the call last Friday that that was the case um, and had the opportunity to spend two amazing days just with him um, as he is, is coming to a close on, on this earth and looking forward to uh, the days to come, that he is, is ready to go before us. Um, and it could be any day. It hasn't happened yet. We've actually been surprised um, that he is, is hanging with us as long as he has. Uh, but he has hospice care now with him. Um, and so we are, we are just praying, and I'm kind of anticipating that call at, at any time. So first, I just want to say thank you for praying for us, for the, our team here to give the space that I could be away last week um, and be with him and get to say that goodbye or more like a see you later um, on the other side. Um, but I say that also to say some as, as kind of the primary person revealing the kingdom to me as a kid was my grandpa Barney. And so, so much of who I am and the reason that I can even be in this place today is because he was revealing to me the kingdom from the earliest age. I remember, um, I mean, he taught me so many things in life, y'all, from like how to blow a bubble with gum to whistling. Like I spent, in my childhood, spent most of my time with my grandpa, like out of any other family member, um, most of my time was spent with Barney. So teaching me like all the things of life, my love of kayaking, um, my love of um, camping, that's it, that's it. He, he showed me those ways. Um, and he taught me to kayak, taught me to run whitewater. And so like just everything else in life falls in place after that. Um, but I remember from an early, early age, I mean, like, you know, like three years old, four years old, my grandpa Barney is the first one to show up on a Sunday morning. So like this morning, Joel was the first one to show up, uh, unlocked the door and had like half of everything set up here um, before anyone else showed up. Um, Grandpa Barney was that guy for the church that we grew up in. And so I would go with him. So I would get to be that like early, early presence on Sunday morning and get to hand out bulletins to everybody. Y'all remember anybody who grew up in church? Did you have a printed bulletin? Like that's, that was a thing. Okay. Um, now it's the Sunday page. So um, <laughs> a little different. But in, in that time growing up in the church with my grandpa, he was showing me so much of what it is like to meet people where they are. And so to get to carry forward into this place, to even get to be in this space this morning and to share in the word with you, it is because he was revealing that to me at such an early age that it took root in my heart. And so I appreciate, you know, the worship team this morning just, um, yeah, had like all the heartstrings <laughs> going. And always the authenticity of the folks who are stepping into this space, I just so appreciate and so um, celebrate. Just even what John said this morning, y'all, we are all coming from different places stepping in here. And we're bringing with us everything that we've been through this week. And y'all, I know like, I know how hard my week has been, 
And I know for many of you how hard your week has been, but I don't know all the stories, but I know that there are stories. And so to be able to be authentic as we step into this space to lead other people in worship, every person who steps on this stage, y'all, they're a real live human being. (laughs) And there's a whole bunch of junk going on in life. (laughs) Um, But still, the Holy Spirit meets us in that. And so even this morning, as, as I get to step into this space, and y'all, I just admit, it's been really hard <laughs> this week um, to even dig in and, and prepare the word for today. <laughs> Darren, love you too, buddy. And it's, it's been um, really only by the power of the Spirit that I can even be in here and, and reflect on so much of what my grandpa Barney has poured into me as I get to, to share the word with you today. So we're going to dive into the word. And um, as we do, we want to pray this prayer. The uh, worship team already led us in this prayer through song, but I want to pray it together just out loud. We open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. Open the ears of our hearts, Lord. We want to see you. We reveal to us the coming of your kingdom. Amen. Amen. So as we're in the parables, we've been actually looking at them through the lens of the gospel of Matthew. And Matthew has captured many, many of the parables. There are more in other gospels that don't show up there. But we're intentionally walking through these in the gospel of Matthew. And today we're coming to a parable in Matthew chapter 15. Uh, The parable itself is just two verses, verses 10 and 11. It's paralleled in uh, Mark's gospel as well over in chapter 7 of Mark, verses 14 and 15. We're going to read first these two verses together, Matthew 15, 10, and 11. You can read along on your phone or it'll be on the screen for us here as well. There it is. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand, what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Okay. So he called the crowds to him and said, listen and understand, right? It's a little bit like the, if you have ears to hear, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. So when we read this parable, we read it by itself, it can be like, um, what the what is going on here, Jesus? Um, What are you trying to tell us? It can be taken in several ways and maybe even in some unhelpful ways. A common way that this gets misinterpreted, what Matthew is communicating here is probably not regarding Jewish food laws. That maybe Jesus was saying that, that those could be disregarded sometimes is, is the um, interpretation that we get, but I don't think that that is, is what's going on. Already in Matthew, in chapter 5, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come to not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So if the parables are telling us what Jesus is doing, and if he's announcing what the kingdom is like, then we should ask that deeper question in this parable too. 
So open our eyes and open our ears, Lord. When we're looking to understand a passage of Scripture anytime, right, and we come to something that we're like, what is going on? Always, everywhere, every time. Y'all, we should look at the context. We should look at the context. <laughs> context, context. So to get a better sense of what is going on here, we're going to zoom out a bit, all right? We're going to take a look at a bigger um, portion of Scripture that this finds itself in. So to unveil what is happening, the kingdom, <laughs> unveil what in the kingdom is happening, uh, we are going to zoom out and look at uh, verses 1 through 20. Okay, so we're going to take, take a bigger chunk here. To, um, tune in with me, okay? Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him, here's our parable, and said, listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, Explain this parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Isn't that bigger picture a little helpful? <laughs> right? So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they come to the far side of the Sea of Galilee from Jerusalem. Y'all, that's not like, I'm going to go down to Carborough and see what's happening with Jesus. It's like, I'm going to walk to the other side of Greensboro and find out what's going on. So it's like a three to four day walk, probably, depending on your pace, right? So up the road a little ways, Jesus had gotten their attention as news had traveled. And his continued growing ministry and the miracles 
They were enough that the Pharisees had to come from Jerusalem and see for themselves what was going on. So they ask him what seems like a bit of a strange question. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. So are they calling out the disciples on their hygiene in this moment? Um, No, that's not what they're saying, though I'll just take a moment, PSA, wash your hands. It's just good hygiene, okay? Like, you should do that. Um, Don't get me started, like, for those who maybe don't wash on the way out of the bathroom, right? Like, you got to do it, people. Just wash your hands, okay? It is helpful for yourself, for everyone else, and the health of our community. So, PSA over. Oh, you should sing the ABCs while you wash your hands, or even say the Lord's Prayer. The timing there is perfect, okay? Continue with your hygiene habits, um, supposing they are to wash your hands. So, while you should wash your hands, what the Pharisees are referring to is actual a ritual cleanness. So, uh, to be ritually clean before eating the bread. They're expecting everyone to follow this rule. And they're expecting especially those who are following a rabbi to be observing this rule. And so they're showing up from Jerusalem, and this is what they're calling out in this moment. I I mean, the things they choose. But by not performing this ritual before they eat, the disciples would have been considered ceremonially unclean. The food that they are eating would have been considered unclean. So now, can you tell me where in all of Holy Scripture they find this rule? Anybody? Genesis? Leviticus? These are are good guesses. Good, good guesses. I heard it, Dr. Clark. (laughs) Nowhere! Right? There are 613 laws of Moses recorded in the first five books of the Bible, what we know as the Torah or the Pentateuch, Israel's law book. It ain't there. (laughs) This rule cannot be found there. But the Pharisees, they're trying to hold Jesus and his disciples to this rule. So what gives? Like, how do they, how do they do this? We have to put ourselves in the context, right? We can so easily and often read through our own lens, right, from where we are. It is not recorded there. But in addition to the written Torah, there is an additional law known as the oral Torah or the oral tradition that is captured beyond the Hebrew Bible. It was just spoken and told over the years, over and over again. And so to completely and totally overly simplify (laughs) what is going on here, do any of you like to play games at your house? Like, is there board game, card games? Yeah, I'm seeing a few hands. All right, at our house, there's Monopoly um, is is frequent. Um, In the card realm, we um, often play hearts, you know, hearts is a big thing in my family. Like when we get big family reunions together, we're playing hearts with like three and four decks of cards. That's how big the game gets. Um, yesterday, I was actually spending some time teaching Riley and Avery to play poker. 
Um, it's it's a thing, y'all. I am just confessing, right? Like we gotta we gotta get it out there. Uh, my grandpa Barney taught me to play poker at an early age. These are life skills. Um, the <laughs> <clears throat> they got me through seminary. Um, <laughs> no, we did not play for money. We played for a green jacket, and I wore the green jacket very proudly. Um, all that to say, I'm not teaching Riley and Avery to play for money. We're just teaching the life skills of poker. Um, but with any game, right, and, and especially, like, I think of Monopoly, it's, like there, there are rules to the game, right? But then there's the house rules, Right, so wherever you go and play, like there's a set of rules that are printed on the lid of the box, but then there's the other rules that whoever whoever is like hosting, we're probably playing by their rules, right? And so that's the very very oversimplified version of what's going on here, um, is that there are the unwritten rules, right? In reality, probably what is going on here is a little bit more like constitutional scholars um, sitting down with the U.S. Constitution and interpreting it over the course of a couple hundred years. And so that's kind of how our laws are formed today, right? An interpretation of our U.S. Constitution. And there are some really smart people, maybe some that aren't as smart, but there, there are people who are interpreting our Constitution, right? And there, then there are other things written in addition to the Constitution that guide our way of life. Sorry. Okay. Um, so, a couple of those. The unwritten oral tradition that would have been floating around um, in this time and what this rule is coming from is known as the Mishnah. So, the Mishnah in Hebrew actually means study by repetition. And so, you can get that idea of it's being repeated, it's orally passed on. And it actually is the first, it becomes the first major written collection of Jewish oral tradition. And it's actually around the third century CE that they are capturing then so that they don't lose all of the oral tradition from about 500 BC to 70 AD, right? So this, this span of time that includes the life of Jesus, they actually then write it down and we know it today as the Mishnah. The Mishnah is actually also found in the Talmud. So the Talmud is the central text by, um, or for rabbinic Judaism. So the primary source of Jewish religious law and Jewish theology. It is, um, it is actually more recently not as much in practice in, in modern times. But we can think of it as the guidebook for daily life of the Jewish people is the Talmud. So these are the compilations of oral traditions. And that is where this rule that um, actually, so taking the 613 laws that were, were captured in scripture, then there's something, and it's something like 10,000, right, of the interpretations of that in the Mishnah and, and Talmud um, for daily life. So there, there's interpretation over the years also. Right, so it's it's not just like one point in time they've they've done that, but it it flows over time. So just to note here, that is actually one of the distinctions when we think of Pharisees and Sadducees. Our eyes and ears gloss over, and we're like, okay, who are those people? <laughs> the Pharisees actually are the ones who carried the oral tradition, the oral 
Torah forward. A distinction from the Sadducees who did not. The Sadducees would have only looked to what is written in the Torah as their law. So just a key distinction there for you, for the Bible scholars tracking along. Um, I love Jesus' uh, response here, right? And we're not going to get into this part, but Jesus' response to their question as so often, right? Jesus asks them a question. And he asks them a question in such a way that it ends with, you hypocrites. <laughs> um, so it's just like he's calling them out in that question, right? He, and doesn't really wait for their answer. <laughs> um, but Jesus' response, just so simple there, um, <laughs> to call them out on actually tradition that they are um, putting above God's word and God's command. So moving on to the parable, like how we find the parable in the context this week. It says, right, that he calls the crowd to him. So imagine, right, like the Pharisees are there calling him out. He's giving this response. And then he's like, okay, I'm going to break it down. But I'm not going to break it down just for you. Everybody, come on in. Like, let's, let's talk about this. And it's not just a few people. In the broader context of this Y'all, the feeding of the 5,000 had just happened, okay? Feeding of the 5,000, and then Jesus um, makes his way walking across the water at night, meets the disciples in the boat. They land on the shore on the other side, only to find that many of the 5,000 who got dinner or supper the night before show up, and they're like, hey, how about breakfast? Um, Can you do that again? And so the crowd is substantial, right? The people are following him they are looking for more of what he has, particularly if it involves breakfast. So this is a key, key reason it's important to have, have the context, right? To know where this is being spoken, who it's being spoken to, so that we can get a better picture of this parable, right? And that it's in response to that first question. Why do you, why do your disciples right? Shirk the traditional law of their elders. So Jesus is telling this, this in response, and the disciples then, right, as, as Jesus responds in that, the disciples very kindly come up to Jesus, and they're like, you know you just offended those dudes, right? Like, they made it all the way here from Jerusalem, and you just offended these folks. And confessing again. Yo, I kind of want a really harsh response from Jesus in this to be like, who cares what they think, right? Like, who cares, right? This is not about them. But actually, it is about them. And he gives us something much more gentle and kind in response, right? He gives us this bit about the blind leading the blind. And in that, right, well, first, if you um, are just finding out, I won't ask you to raise your hand. If you're finding out that blind, the blind leading the blind is a biblical statement, <laughs> right? Like just a little nugget for us. But the, he, he recognizes the Pharisees don't have eyes to see, right? And so in this space, we can have compassion on them. We can have compassion for the blind, trying to lead someone else who is blind. And he's not saying, just forget about them. Right? He's saying, give them consideration. 
right? There is the unfortunate part where they might fall in a pit. But we're hoping it doesn't come to that. We want them to have eyes to see. He also talks about the plants, the plants that are not planted by his father, right? We got into this a little bit with the sower and the seed. And there is another parable that we missed. Y'all, we could spend a whole year just doing parables and like maybe someday, (laughs) but there are a lot of parables that we have to just kind of like keep moving past. But he's actually pointing back to the sower parable and a parable that comes right after that in the separation of um, the wheat and the tares. And so basically in that parable that falls right after the sower, he's saying, you know, my father has planted a bunch of seeds. But then at night, one, one night, the evil one actually came along and sowed a bunch of seeds too. He sowed a bunch of weeds that grow up among the wheat. And there's a point at which there has to be a separation in there, that the weeds are not helpful, and so that they will be uprooted. They will be taken out and separated. And so he's saying when we have, when we have this blindness, right, that it's not helpful. And the weeds within the wheat is not helpful. And so in contrast to the Pharisees who are calling him out and who are in blindness, then we get Peter who, we, who steps up and is like, okay, Jesus, explain this to us. And I'm so thankful for Peter. Like, y'all, I can't tell you how many times I'm like the kid sitting in the back of the class that's like, I have this question, but I don't want to be the one to answer it or don't want to ask it, right? I don't want to look like I don't know. But Peter is so bold. He steps forward and he's like, Jesus, will you explain this to us? And he even takes a little bit of the rebuke where (laughs) Jesus says, are you so dull? And in N.T. Wright's um, um, translation of this passage, he says, are you still so slow on the uptake that I have to tell you this? Yes. (laughs) The answer to that is yes. And I am grateful that Peter asks the question. I don't know about you, because then we get this explanation, right? He actually takes the time to explain it. And it's one of the rare parables where Jesus gives us the explanation. He says, don't you see whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach, then out of the body. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. These defile them. So it's a little bit like um, Jesus taking Peter to the fourth grade um, anatomy class and um, taking a look at what happens. Goes in the mouth, goes out of the body. Yo, this is fourth grade. I felt like it was going to be appropriate, okay? Like, um, <laughs> some translations literally say goes into the toilet. <laughs> I mean, you, it's scripture. It's so good. Um, so the, Jesus is like, okay, Peter, let me show you this just so you get the point. What goes in comes out another way. Okay, you can take that. <laughs> Thank you, Maddie. Um, But there's something more, right? There is something more. What comes out of the mouth is actually what we're looking for. 
the, the potential that that is what defiles a person. And it gives us this list, which is actually like really closely tied to the Ten Commandments. The things that could defile us. They come from the heart, not what we eat. We can sometimes find ourselves with this great chasm between our head and our heart. <laughs> right? That we want to be able to know all of the things. And so sometimes then knowing and trying to observe all of those 16 or 613 laws or commands, those are like knowable things, right? And they can be a checklist that we're like, okay, got it, got it, got it. Good luck doing all 613. <laughs> especially today because like a third of them require the temple in order to like <laughs> there's no temple um so as a knowable thing right we can get into our faith or specifically even get into our religion thinking of it as a checklist or a regulatory environment and those are knowable things in our head but in reality, what Jesus is looking for is a relational life of faith. And that flows out of the heart. That's not a checklist of things to do. That's not a number of laws to maintain. It is making that journey that we sung about earlier from the head to the heart. It's not about boiling Christianity down to a list of do's and don'ts. And it's easy for us to get into that place. Some of us were raised in the church in that way. Some of us were taught that's, that's it, right? Like that you observe these things and that is what is pleasing to God. But from the get-go, all the way back in the garden, literally the get-go, like <laughs> the start of it all, it was about relationship. It was about that perfect relationship of the creator and the created. So it's easy for our faith or our religion to be, become known for what it's against instead of what it's for. And our faith in following Jesus is for heart-level relationship. That he invites us into relationship, our God invites us into relationship, and we respond in relationship. It is wide open arms, regardless of where we are coming from. It, there is an embrace for us, and we in turn get to embrace our loving creator. I think about two other parables, and you know, I'm trying to fit in as many parables in this as possible. Um, two other parables that come to mind. When we think of this journey from the head to the heart and trying to think through or checklist our religious doings instead of our beings. The first is the Pharisee and the tax collector. 
right? Jesus tells this parable about going into the temple to pray. And there are these two men who go to pray, one of them a Pharisee and one of them a tax collector. The Pharisee says, I thank you, God, that I am not like the robbers. I'm not like the evildoers. I'm not like that tax collector over there. And at the same time, like way in the back, there's this tax collector praying, saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. I think also of the parable of the log and the speck, (laughs) where I really, really, really want to help you get the speck out of your eye. While I've got a log (laughs) or a plank sticking out of my eye, And in that place, it can be easy for us to pray and even in this parable to say, thank you, God, that I'm not like that Pharisee. Put the log in the speck. Jesus turning it upside down. Let's say comparing ourselves to others. And their journey, not helpful. Judging others, not helpful. What is helpful is taking that inventory of the heart. I love that Psalm 24 kind of puts it all in context for us, like sums it up in a beautiful way. Psalm 24 capturing much of even the law, um, but also what God desires. Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas, he established it on the waters. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who could possibly stand in his holy place? Those who have clean hands and a pure heart, who do not lift their souls to what is false, to what is harmful, to what could defile. Pure hearts and even clean hands. Again, we're not talking about washing and hygiene, right? But we can only have clean hands when we have the clean heart. And so following the commandments, whether you get even up to 605, right? Like there's still some you're going to fall short. Following them to a T isn't going to get us where we want to go. Is it even possible? Is there hope for us? How do we be people of clean hearts? When in fact, we need new hearts. Maybe you're here today and you're feeling like, I need a new heart. I need a clean heart. We replace our own heart with the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus leading us, leading us to deeper places in relationship with him, with our community the people around us.
God has wanted us to be partners in this creation from the very get-go. And not like sign a contract here kind of partner, right? Follow all of the commands to this sign on the dotted line. No. He wants us to be in relationship. Relational partners. He's not looking for drones to do like what they're assigned to do. He's not looking for pawns that he can move in some way of manipulating what is happening in this world. He brings us to the greatest command, which Jesus gives to us. He sums up all of the law and the prophets. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself this threefold way of love. We have to love ourselves to love one another. And we love one another. We are showing our love for God. And all of those things are held within this tension of relationship. So is there even hope for us? What about the Pharisees? Their hope for the Pharisees? Do we know any Pharisees that received a new heart? Mm-hmm. I heard Nicodemus. We hope so. We don't know for sure. We hope so. Paul, you know, the guy who wrote a good bit of our New Testament. Paul was a Pharisee among Pharisees. And he a Pharisee among Pharisees was able to reflect back in Romans chapter 13. He says, therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is the fulfillment. And so as we bring it all to the table today, I'll leave you with this proverb We'll just leave this up on the screen until we're ready to sing again. But Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 is the wisdom that we need. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So, whether you need a completely new heart today, or many of you know, my love for the Grinch. I'm carrying my Grinchmas with me. If you just need to grow your heart a few sizes, you've got a new heart, but maybe it needs to grow a bit. That's what we get to do at the table today. God meets us here because we remember that he actually let himself be broken for us. Y'all, that his body would be broken so that we might be made whole, that his blood poured out is poured out for us and for the forgiveness of sin, that we might have a new heart with his blood pumping through our veins, that we can grow in grace with every single step, regardless of where we are on the journey, 
from our head to our heart. We take the bread and the cup as his grace for us today. So I'm going to invite you to come. Got Joel with the lightsaber today coming down. We'll dismiss you a row at a time to come across and our servers are ready to meet you. They'll tear off a piece of the bread and hand it to you. You can dip it in the cup. Receive it and taste and see that the Lord is good.